0: Well, good morning. Have you tasted the goodness of God? Have you experienced it? If you have, uh, then I've got something to tell you. You are a priest to God. Now, what do you think about when you think about a priest? I think of a man in a uh, black robe and a white collar and a gold chain. I think of someone who's cloistered up in a church or a monastery somewhere who comes out on Sundays and uh, leads a liturgy in a very precise and mysterious way. You know, every uh, culture has its priests. People who uh, dress in a special way, they eat a special diet, they have special responsibilities, and they represent God. The fact is, that's what a priest is. But in God's plan for us, that's the job He's given to each of us, men and women. Everyone who belongs to Christ is a priest. Peter calls us a nation of priests. Luther said, called it the, the priesthood of all believers. This isn't, you know, some special calling for the more spiritual. This isn't something that's optional. It isn't something we work our way up to. It's God's plan. It's God's assignment for each every one of us. It's something that we need to come to grips with. If you're a Christian you're a priest. Embrace that. Develop that. Now, that's your job. That's who you are. A priest before God. How does that make you feel? I think he, when we stop and think about it, it feels pretty intimidating. I mean, what is a priest supposed to do? What are we supposed to wear? Well, what, what are our special responsibilities? How do we represent God? If, if you're a priest of God, how do you do that? What do you do? Well, I am glad you asked. Because that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, turn with me to 1 Peter 2, 1 through 12. Here Peter lays it all out for us very clearly, very plainly, very systematically. He tells us what our priorities, our personal priorities as priests are. Then he tells us what our priorities toward the Christian community are. Then he tells us what our priorities in the world are. I said, he just lays it out. And since this is your job, listen carefully to how to do it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. We'll just start with our personal priorities as priests. He says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and dis- all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave the pure spiritual milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter starts with our clothing. He tells us to rid yourself of of a bunch of ugly stuff. That, That phrase, rid yourself, literally means to take off and discard an article of clothing. Now, when our family gets ready to go someplace together... I usually come walking out of the bedroom, ready to go, and almost invariably one of my daughters will look at me and say, Dad, are you going to wear that? Roughly translated, that means, Dad, <laughs> that does not look good on you, and quite frankly, we would be embarrassed to be seen in public with you wearing that. And since I have little to no sartorial taste, I usually listen to them, we go back in the bedroom and pick something more suitable for me. You see, our vestments as priests are spiritual. God's not all that concerned with what we wear on the outside. When we come here together, some people are wearing shirts, shorts. I hope they're all wearing shirts. but Some are wearing shorts. Some are wearing ties and a jacket. But we're all part of one body. It, 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 that doesn't matter a lot to God, nor does it matter much to each other. We, we come in what we're comfortable with and, and what, what's appropriate to the way we feel we want to express. God uh, tells us in Scripture not to give too much concern with our outward adornment, but what matters to Him is our inward adornment, an inner self clothed in a beautiful, gentle, quiet spirit. The fact is, when we show up with a spirit clothed in malice, deceit, hypocrisy, evil, or envy, and slander, these are things that that Peter listed there. When we show up wearing those things, God looks at us and says, that looks terrible on you. Take it off. Throw it away. It's gross. It's as if we, we showed up wearing clothes that we had worn for years and years and years. And never washed once. They were covered with the worst kind of filth. That stink. It's repulsive. God says, take it off. Throw it away. See, these things, uh, malice, or having grudges against people. a, A resentment in your heart toward another person. Or deceit, literally that means subtleties, you know, little innuendos, little word digs that don't come right out and criticize someone, but leave them feeling unacceptable and small. And hypocrisies, or envies, excuse me, hypocrisies, acting better than you are, envies, begrudging God's goodness to others rather than rejoicing with them and for them and slander, talking about others and their faults to anyone, even under the guise of Christian concern. People, these things are ugly on you. They don't look good at all. What God tells us to do is to take them off, throw them away. These these are, are gross and unwashed. They stink. They are inappropriate dress. So simply take it off, like a coat, and throw it away. That's what he tells us to do. Take it off and throw it away. You see, this stuff not only looks bad on you, it also poisons your spirit. It, 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 it blinds you spiritually, makes you deaf to God's Word. Look what Peter said next. He says, Instead, like newborn babies, crave the pure spiritual milk of the word so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. See, the language Peter uses here makes it clear that unless we get rid of that other junk, throw it away, we will not crave the pure spiritual milk of the word. David Roper once told me when people come to him and ask, you know, Help me find the key to to enjoying the Scriptures. He always starts by asking them, are these other things in your heart? Because if we're holding on to these other things in our heart, if if we're protecting them, if we are treasuring them in our heart, hidden away, we will never crave the Word because we're not ready to obey the Word. And the Word becomes something that's threatening, rather than something we desire, something we long for. See, these things choke out our spiritual vitality. A healthy baby gets hungry. A baby with no appetite is sick. So the first thing, the first step, is to face these things, take them off, throw them away. And then refuse them when they come back and tempt you to put them back on like, like, like an old familiar sweater, a comfortable pair of slippers. Don't put them back on. Instead, crave the pure spiritual milk of the word so that you can grow up strong and healthy. That is the diet of the priest. Pure spiritual milk. That's the breakfast of champions. Now, let me ask any of you who've been around babies how often do babies want to eat? About once a week, usually? Now, obviously, they want to when they're brand new, they eat every couple of hours, then maybe every four hours. As they grow, they can go a little longer. Let me ask you how many of you here eat once a week? Just once a week. Some of you say, yeah, I eat once a week. <laughs> and once a day, and twice a day, three times a day. Now, if you ate just once a week, you're not going to stay strong and healthy. You won't last long that way. Now, let me encourage you. It is great that we come together to, uh, to be taught the Word, to be fed from the Word. We all need that. But it's not enough. Let me urge you to spend time every day in the Word. Feeding from it. But you say, well, I've never been trained. I don't know how to do that. Well, let me respond to that with, with, with two things. First of all, realize you don't need to go and pull out this beautiful three-point outline all these profound spiritual truths every day. No, you just need to open your Bible. Start reading through a book. Little by little. Bring it to God. Lay it before Him. Ask Him what He wants to show you today. Ask Him what He wants to show you about Himself today. Ask Him what He wants to show you about yourself today. Ask Him what He has for you today. And then listen. Be quiet. Think about what you read. Wait for Him to speak with a heart ready to obey. Just get your food for the day. You don't have to fill the pantry. Just sit down to a simple meal with Him. You don't have to be a gourmet cook. But it is critical that you bring it to Him, that you share it with Him, because it's His Word, and ultimately it's He that will feed you from His Word. So if you've never began the practice of just spending some time in the Word every day, let me encourage you. Open your Bibles, maybe to one of Paul's shorter letters like Galatians or Ephesians or, or Philippians. And then just start reading through a little by little and bring it to God. Let Him feed you. Second thing I'd say about uh, about not being equipped, not being uh, knowing how to study your Bibles, as you spend time in the Word, as you start letting God speak to you, You will naturally desire, begin to want, to to understand better, to go deeper. Well, then get the training you need. First place I'd recommend it, just find somebody who's done it more than you. Find somebody who's spent more time in the Word and ask them how to do it. Let them show you. Let them teach you how to find deeper truths there, how how to, to understand it better. Get involved in a Bible study or a growth group where where you're studying with other people. Take a study center class on how to study the Bible. Get a, a study help from the bookstore that will teach you how to go deeper. Constantly be growing in your ability to rightly divide the word of truth. And as you do, as you spend that time in the word, you'll see... God's goodness, the goodness that you've tasted. Enjoy it. Eat it up. It's good. Now, one final comment about the word. You live in a society, we all live in a society, that uh, has uh, all kinds of fast food options available all this food that is quick and easy and exciting and nutritionally disastrous, and filled w- with all kinds of things that are subtly unhealthy for us. See, if you try to live on that stuff, it'll kill you eventually. Peter tells us that God's Word is pure. It doesn't have any of that unhealthy stuff mixed in. In fact, the word he uses there for pure literally means having no stone in it. See, back then they would grind their wheat between two large stones. And an awful lot of the time, little pieces of stone would chip off and get into the the wheat. You'd be eating your sandwich or eating a bowl of gruel and bite down on a rock and painfully break a tooth. See, there's a lot of good information out there in the world today. There are a lot of very valuable books, uh, self-help books. There's a, there are a lot of, of really excellent management training courses that many of you have taken perhaps at work. There's a lot of, of psychological information floating around out there and some of it is very valuable, helpful. But if that's your diet, only those things, or even if that's your primary diet, You're not going to be getting the nutrition that you need to grow strong and healthy spiritually. And eventually, you're going to bite down on something that's going to really hurt you. God's Word is satisfying and healthy. Something you you can put your trust in. No stones in it. So you can eat well with confidence that you will grow strong and healthy and never break a tooth. Now let's move on to the uh, next set of priorities for us as priests, our priorities toward the Christian community. These are our special responsibilities. Let me read the heart of our passage, verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, You also, like living stones, are spiritual sacrifices, excuse me, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who who do not believe. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the Word, which was also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, I don't want to take the time to, to go through this line by line, verse by verse, but there's some very important things that Peter has to say here. Before we get into those, though, let me deal with Peter's digressions. Uh, Twice in, in, in this passage, in this section we just read, Peter digresses to talk about how Jesus was the stone rejected by men. Now the reason Peter takes the time to talk about that is twofold. One, he wants to reassure us when we are rejected by men, that this is not an unusual thing, that this is how they treated Jesus, this will be how they treat us. But the second thing he does is he helps us understand why people reject Jesus. And Peter tells us it's for two very uh, intertwined, very related reasons. The first, in verse 7, it's because they don't believe. And the second, in verse 8, it's because they don't obey. You see, Peter tells us that people don't stumble over Jesus because belief in Him is untenable intellectually. Now, he says the reason they stumble over Jesus is because they don't trust Him enough to obey Him. And because they've already decided not to obey Him, they're forced to. To, to reject Him, or at least to denude Him of all authority in their lives by making Him out to be something or someone other than He really is, the, the Creator, the, the, the God who made them and who purchased them with His blood. You see, their unwillingness to face the things in their lives that are disobedient, to, to turn away from those things by God's power and by His grace, forces them, To reject Jesus. It's a a psychological and spiritual necessity. See, if you are unwilling to obey the Lord, you will either reject Him outright or distort His true nature and character. And there's nothing more dangerous, more devastating spiritually than that. It's an issue of the will, not of the intellect. It's an issue of being willing to obey. Now let's go back to uh, Peter's first statement in this section. It's very significant. He says, As you come to Him, the living stone, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house says as you come to Jesus he's building you together and this is a critically important concept as you come to Jesus in the very act of coming to Jesus he brings you to other believers and he begins to connect you to them to bind you with them to build something between you and them a connection this is necessary it is inevitable. It is God's plan and His design. And it is very hard for us as Americans to accept. We are such individualistic culture, uh, people culturally. You know, we, we, we think it's enough just to believe all by ourselves. It, it, that, that's, a, that's a personal issue. It's a private matter. Nobody else's business. We also uh, tend to to feel it's a sign of weakness to need others. The fact is, God has made it clear in His Word. Listen to this very carefully. It isn't enough just to believe. We also need to belong. It's not just believing, it's belonging Because when we come to Jesus and then refuse to be bound together with other believers, connected with Him in love and service, when we resist being connected with other believers, we are resisting Jesus because He's the one who's binding us together, building us together into a house for Himself. And for that to happen, we must come together. We need each other. In fact, we need each other as we need Christ. Ultimately, the thing we need most in the world, in life, is Christ. And what we need in each other is Christ in each other. And That's what he, how He has chosen. Part of the, the way that He has chosen to build us up, to minister to us, is through each other. And when we resist that connection with each other, we are resisting Him. Refusing to obey Him. We do not stand alone. We must come together, join together. Now, where does this unity focus? Why do we come together? Peter said, You are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, we come together as a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices. Now, what are those spiritual sacrifices? Well, let me read uh, Hebrews 13, 15, and 16. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise. That is the tribute of lips that acknowledge his name. And never forget to do good and to share what you have with others. For with such sacrifices God is pleased. Do you hear what those sacrifices are? Worship and service. You see, we come together to more effectively offer to our Lord our worship and our service. Worship, the, the praise of lips that acknowledge His name. And service. The, the good works and the sharing what God's given us with others. See, that's His design for us coming together as priests, that we could do this more effectively. Now, each of us do these things on our own. We worship on our own at times with God. We serve individually on our own. But it's God's design that we most effectively do these things. As we come together, there's a synergistic effect and our praises, our praises build off each other and grow as we praise God for His goodness to each other. We're not only praising for what we've seen in our life, but it's growing and our, our, our worship, our wonder grows. And as we serve, we most effectively serve when we serve together, when we come together uh, to, to, to work as a team each bringing their resources, pulling their resources, and each using the gifts that God has given them. That's God's design for us as priests, to come together for worship and to serve. And in verses 9 and 10 reinforce this, they add to this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. First of all, notice again, these are group terms. A people of God, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a nation. Because God's still talking about us as a group. All together. You know, the American model is a pile of stones. Or a field sprinkled with stones. But there's no beauty there. There's no function there. It's just a pile of stones. Useless. God's design is to bring us together into a people. Into a house for Him to live in. To express His love and His beauty through He says we are his people to belong to him and to declare his excellencies. This is this reinforces our, our purpose as priests. First of all, as a people to belong to him. Secondly, to declare his excellencies. Now the first purpose is to belong completely to God, to be his people. All of those terms I mentioned, the the royal priesthood, the the chosen people, all of these things are Old Testament terms used of the ancient people of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, God uses this whole list in talking about His, his people, Israel. And then in verses 7 and 8, he tells the people right to their face. He said, I didn't choose you because you were the the greatest, most powerful, most numerous nation. That's not why I chose you. I chose you because you were weak. And I simply wanted to demonstrate my love to you. And then later on in chapter 9, he's uh, having another discussion with the people of Israel, and he says, it wasn't because of your righteousness or your integrity that I work on your behalf. God simply chose the people of Israel to be a showcase of His goodness, a demonstration of His love. You see, the same thing's true of us. God hasn't chosen us because we're such wonderful, wise, powerful, great people. He's simply chosen us to be showcases of His goodness and His love. See, the important thing to know about belonging to God is that He chose us for the very purpose of enjoying His love. That's why He chose us. That's what He wants to do. To love us up. to Let us experience his, good, his, his love and His goodness. And being recipients of that love enjoins two things on us. First, it calls us to obedience so that we can fully enjoy that love. So that we can experience all that He longs to to do for us, to do in us. Secondly, it calls us to just speak out His goodness. What He says, declare His excellencies. The word excellency simply means goodness, virtue. We are to declare His goodness. We're to let Him love us up, fill us up, and then to just tell it out. To tell anybody who will listen how good God is. How good He has been to us. We were chosen to enjoy His mercies and then tell others about it. It's as simple as that. Enjoy His goodness, enjoy His mercies, and then declare it. Now we declare it to each other. We tell each other how good God has been to us. And that does two things for us. First, it encourages each other's faith. As I hear how good God's been to you, I'm encouraged to trust Him to be good to me and to obey Him so that I might enjoy His blessings. And it strengthens my faith. I get excited about how good He is. The second thing that it does is it allows our praise to join together, to build up, to well up, because that's the sacrifice that we offer as priests, our worship, our praise. But it isn't only restricted to talking about it to each other. We declare it to those on the outside as well. As we tell them about how good God is, they begin to desire to taste that goodness that you have tasted, to, to experience that love that you have experienced. See, we speak of it in the church and we speak of it in the world. One is how we build each other up. The other is what we call evangelism. Acting like we are so good that we deserve God's mercy, not trying to jam some program down people's throats, simply telling people how good God has been us. That's what it's about. And that really leads to our final priority as priests, verses 11 and 12. This is our priority as priests in the world. This is how we represent God. 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Now here is our priorities in the world. One, to abstain from sinful lusts that wage war on our soul. And number two, to live such good lives that people will eventually give glory to God. Simple as that. Again, first of all, Peter digresses again he t- he says we are aliens and strangers he wants us to keep in mind that we don't fit here that we will never be completely accepted in this world because again he doesn't want us to be surprised by that even distracted by that that's why he told us all that Jesus would be was rejected again to to encourage us when we experience that kind of rejection. Jesus said, if they rejected me, they will reject you. So it shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't shock us when our culture portrays Christians as as judgmental and unloving, as haters of women, as narrow and petty, as boring and oppressive. It shouldn't surprise you that they say all manner of untrue things about you in fact he doesn't want us to get distracted to get preoccupied with that don't let it get you down you live it down instead see God gave us our two priorities in the world as priests right here and neither of them was to take up arms and fight against our culture denounce it and and, and scream about how unfairly we're being treated now, the first thing, the first priority he gave us was to abstain from sinful desires which wage against your soul. Start with yourself. Look at yourself, at your own attitudes, your own pursuits. Avoid, keep yourself back from those sinful desires. Now, what are these sinful desires? Well, literally, it's, it's the desires of the flesh. Now, the flesh is sinful. That's not what the word means. It's not referring to sinful desires. It's referring to desires that come purely from our human perspective. Now, what he's saying simply is this. Do not pursue the things that everyone around you pursues, that the world pursues, that aren't God's priorities. Now, what are these things? Well, wealth. That's one thing. Now, there's nothing wrong or sinful about wealth per se, but it's not what we're after. It's not what we pursue, even though that's what the world pursues. See, we're told that if we have enough money to buy food and clothing and shelter, be content and then put your focus, put your time on more important things like feeding on the Word, coming together to worship, to praise experiencing God's love and declaring it to others. See, there's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with promotions. But that's not the goal. See, we do our best for God's glory. We work as unto the Lord. And if promotions and more money come with that, great. But if they don't, that's fine too because that's not our goal. That's not what we're after. It's not what we pursue. Another Thing that would fit into this category of things the world pursues that we are not to pursue is reputation and prestige. Maybe at work. Or maybe even among the neighborhood moms. Trying to look better than everyone else rather than just doing our best and trying to help others be successful as well. Another area is sexual desire. Sexual desire is good and healthy within marriage. Marriage. It's not what we pursue. It's not a goal. If you pursue it, especially outside of the self giving love of marriage, those desires enslave. They addict you, they distort you. Another area is just our culture's almost frantic busyness. Running from one thing to another. Many of these things are good things, but that's not what our life should look like. That's not what we pursue running around and being so busy. See, the list could go on and on and on, but, but what, what Peter is telling us is these aren't to be the things that we pursue because these things will wage war with our souls. They'll distract us from what's important and they'll bring us all kinds of internal conflict. Because we're Christians. If you're not a believer, there won't be that war with the soul. Because these things aren't pursuing these things is not inconsistent with who you are. Now they still may not be ultimately healthy for you. But it's not a contradiction of who you are. But if you are in Christ, if you're a believer, you are a priest, you are His possession. And to pursue these things will wage war with your soul. It will bring you conflict in your soul. It will choke you spiritually. Now the uh, call that he makes to us is to not be conformed to this world. And the second priority that Peter gives for us as priests in in the world is to live such good lives that eventually people will glorify God. Now this word good is, is wonderful. It literally means beautiful, gorgeous, magnificent See, he's telling us to live beautiful lives. That's not self-righteous lives. There's nothing beautiful about that. That's not condescending or judgmental lives. There's nothing beautiful about that. That's not lives that are focused on what we don't do and feeling superior because of it. It's not lives that are strident and shouting out our causes. Right at the beginning of our, our chapter, he told us quite a few things that were ugly that did not make us beautiful. Malice, having... Resentment, grudges in your heart toward others. And and, uh, what else did he say? He said deceits, that is, those little digs toward others. Innuendos, putting them down. And envies, not being delighted that God gives generously to other people. Slander, talking about people. You see, these things don't look any better on us when they're directed to unbelievers than they do when they're directed to other believers whom we're being bound together with. Now you see, living a beautiful life is living a life like Jesus. Loving, considerate, kind, patient, gentle, thoughtful, generous, never seeking itself, never boastful, never proud, not, uh, easily angered, not keeping track of wrongs against us. That's our priority. Letting Jesus' life come out of us in the way that we treat other people. Letting Him show us how to love and teach us how to love. Sharing all of the good things that He's given us with them. That's the focus if you do this, you will outlove their rejection. Eventually, they will give glory to God. Either when they, they break and turn to Jesus in faith and come into the light themselves, or when Jesus comes again in judgment and they see everything as it is. Either way, eventually, they will give glory to God and they will marvel at His ability to transform simple, sinful human beings into magnificent lovers by His grace, His mercy. So that's uh, our priority as priests in the world. Like we started with, you're a priest. Now you know what your job is. You know what your priorities are. Personally, it's to get rid of all of the garbage, the bad attitudes toward others, and to feed your spirit on God's Word. Toward the Christian community. It's to be joined together with others in a spiritual household for God to live in. It's to come together and worship and in service. It's to belong completely to Him and to speak out His goodness. Toward the world. It's to not pursue the things that everyone around us is pursuing, but instead to live beautiful lives that reflect, that showcase His goodness. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank You for our calling. Thank You that You are so clear and that it is so simple when we look at it and that You can make us into Your priests. Lord, Pray that we would feed from your word regularly and grow strong spiritually so that uh, we can be rid of all of the garbage that keeps us apart as Christians, that keeps us from being bound together. or fill us with forgiveness and patience with each other as we come together, knowing that we will hurt and irritate each other. But Lord, we want you to bind us together because we want our worship and our service to be effective. We want to be yours completely. We want our voice to be heard, how good you are. And Lord, free us from pursuing all the things that our culture pursues so that we might live beautiful lives that reflect your character, that reflect your goodness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.